0: On the podcast today, we are going to speak about Zen koans. So a Zen koan, for those of you who don't know, is a riddle to test the practitioner's maturity or advancement on the path in spirituality and in Zen specifically. And Alan Watts once said that Zen and Zen koans specifically looks like utter buffoonery practiced by buffoons. (laughs) (laughs) from an outside perspective. Mm. So, because it is strange, right? When you first come across Zen koans and if you don't understand what they are and what they are supposed to facilitate, then they don't make any logical sense because it's beyond logic. And so koans are one of the main practices in Zen. And if we look at the two main schools of Zen, if we look at Rinzai and Soto Zen, Rinzai's main focus is koans while Soto's main focus is just sitting, so zazen. So, but then there's, you know, an alternation. There's a belief that, in some sense, either the koans going to the depth of a koan will benefit your sitting practice, or the the depth of understanding a koan is accentuated by your, your sitting practice. You know what I mean? So there's a there's it's an either or thing, and so this zen riddles we'll talk a lot of, we'll mention a lot of zen of these zen koans today we'll go through them and there's a, a variation of zen koans you know there's the dharma body koans there's the koans that teach through devices there's a the koans that clarify through words and then there's also the koans that are difficult to pass so we'll, we'll go through a lot of those and we'll read some of those different koans uh, to talk about to, to go deep into into these koans and, and you and I have a, a pretty long history with koans I remember a decade ago we were living up in Pokhara reading the way of Zen by Alan Watts and contemplating one of the actually one of the Dharma body koans that we found in uh, which Alan talks about in in the way of Zen if you mm-hmm. remember so koans they teach you the authenticity of the practitioners development in Zen so it, it it reveals their maturity and understanding of what Kunyamada Yamada Roshi would call the essential world. So koans themselves arise from this essential world. You know what we would call Brahman or Tao, or what the Buddhists would call the void or the Dhammakaya. So these koans arise from that reality. They're not linked. Well, they are linked somewhat to this world, the actual world, the phenomenal world but they are from that essential world, as what Mala would say. And that's what they're trying to uh, evoke in the practitioner, even in people who are listening today and you and I. The the, the purpose of the koan is to thrust you into that essential world. So they arise from the essential world and they take you back to the essential world, you see.
1: It's almost like, Um, We are living in a somewhat phenomenal world, right? Mm. But Zen Cohen is to ask a question. Through the question, a practitioner should be able to see the essential world through the phenomenal world. Yes. That is to say, what's underlying um, beneath to this um, physical world, right? Yes. And... And that's what I found it really interesting, uh, going through some of the things that um, what Cohen, about koan, basically. Yeah. It's uh, to see the essential world, but through the phenomenal world, mm. to have a, come to understanding that the phenomenal world isn't, isn't untrue, mm. but it is also part of the essential world. Mm-hmm. But you need to have that kind of perspective to be able to see it mm.
0: that way it's untrue in the sense that if you live in a world of concepts and names and forms right then if you're like naming and giving concepts to everything in the in the phenomenal world that's kind of the hypnosis because you're not seeing like what you said you're not kind of seeing the essential world in the phenomenal in the phenomenal world yeah. and that's what in Mahayana Buddhism, they would call, you know, samsara is nirvana, nirvana is samsara, right? So samsara, this this world of duality where we're caught in this time loop uh, where nirvana is just the eternal now. It's like seeing the non-dual reality within duality, so to speak.
1: Yeah, uh, in the phenomenal world, you can just see it quite easily, mm. right? Mm. Names and form and... Mm things like that, which we um, get to experience everyday life, right? Mm. But to be able to see the what the underlies beneath that, it, it requires a lot of um, work, actually, right? Because mm. you need to be able to lift your perspective in reality a little bit. So the Zen Buddhism is a, based on realism. Mm. That realism is the essential world. Mm. And yet practitioners always get challenged to be able to see the underneath the phenomenal world right mm-hmm. and that's what zen koans are about yep. to it's somewhat like i thought it's kind of interesting in that you will have to have a somewhat logical and intellectual mind to be able to understand the zen koans right but to come up with the good answer to pass the coin is to mm, be able to bring that answer in a very intuitive but also spontaneous way. Mm. Right. Mm. That's why it's very tricky and very difficult, mm. and it takes a lot of time to develop that uh, perspective. From that perspective, to be able to see the world that way. Right. And to meet the fine um, line the perfect middle way between intuitive perspective and logical and intellectual mm-hmm. uh perspective right yeah that's where i think you can come up with the perfect answer but it also has to be spontaneous right yeah it's uh it's not an easy task at all
0: well that's why what's called a buffoonery because yeah. like from a logical perspective when you read a koan or it, You know some of the ones, especially the ones that are the the so called coins that are difficult to pass. You like you have no idea what they're really talking about on a certain level, and because it's kind of beyond logic, and so that's why it's more to do with the irrational sphere of the mind. And one of the problems within not just spiritual practitioners in general, but with people in general, is over rationality. And so koans are supposed to thrust you back into that irrational world. The irrational world that apparently is not good for you and you should try to avoid, they're trying to get you back to that because they're saying that there's something in the irrational sphere of the mind that is connected to the essential world. The rational world is a calculator calculating the phenomenal world, the actual world that we experience with our eyes, with our senses, right? And so we have to get sort of beyond that in not just in Zen Buddhism, but in any spiritual path, you're supposed to try to get back to that irrational sphere of the mind. What we would call in cognitive sciences, hot cognition, right? So, you're trying to get back into that field of where like things like uwe and effortlessness and all of that all arises from. And, like you said, you're trying to act uh, immediate but also appropriate to the situation. That's the height of actual Zen practice, right? Is uh, when you begin koan practice you start to act spontaneously, but a lot of the time you may not be appropriate to whatever the master or the teacher is, is asking of you. And so that's at that next level when you start to act appropriately to whatever situation it is. And that they translate over into life skills that you take out of the monastery and you know, that's how you behave in general. So when there's a situation, then you begin to act appropriately and immediately to each and every situation
1: the um something that we need to really look at about being um intellectual and rational is that we when we rationalize things we usually get get trapped into over rationalizing things right overthinking over analyzing all these things then mm-hmm. Ellen once said that people like to worry about a lot of things, which is usually come from the memory and their past experience, right? The past past memory and the yeah the emotion, emotional states that they experienced in the past from that experience, right? Mm-hmm. So that worry about things that actually not necessary, most of the worries, right, mm-hmm. in our daily life. So that, like... How much you can over-rationalize is that you get to stage where you think of things that like, and then you go like, you are worried about that, in fact, there is nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. You get to that level of uh, <laughs> over-rationalizing. Mm-hmm. So when you get to that level, like you will completely get blind by what's really happening around you, right? Your your immediate reality and and I think Zen practice is all about to get you to see what's really happening around you. Mm. For example, uh, when sun comes up, s- the sunlight is going through you, mm. these uh, simple things. That, but you, you need to be able to s- see that. You need to be able to feel that your immediate reality at all times mm. without getting caught into like petty little things in your own mind Mm, right mm. and that's the that's actually pretty challenging
0: hundred percent hundred percent and then well that's what they're supposed to facilitate right to get you out of that even like what you said we worry when we don't have anything to worry about Mm. that's that's that that's a social habit right like we 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 feel like we ought to be over busy we feel like we ought to have a lot of things to pick up and have our mind to mull on and, and you know to marinate and ruminate on when in the end zen especially zen is saying drop it all and don't give the mind any toys or tools to to pick up and play with it's okay to just reside in the essential world the the operation of the koan is to get you back into the field of the essential world and abide in that essential world that's what it's trying to do cuz that essential world is within all of us. Call it, you know, the Atman or whatever. If we translate over into other languages, but the difference, we could say, from say, if we talk about Vedanta or, or Yoga or Sankhya, they would say they would give you a mantra, right? So the mantra keeps you fixated on Brahman. So it keeps you trying to bring your mind back to Brahman, you know, this and that. Where Zen is not opposite but different in the sense that the koan is there to to just riddle the rational mind and the intellectual mind out of an understanding of what it thinks. You know, because we're constantly in this habit of believing that we can come up with logical conclusions for everything. There must be a logical conclusion for this. And Zen would ask, what's the logical conclusion of a sunset? What's the logical conclusion of a, of a, a bee pollinating? You know, what, 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 are the, what is the logical conclusion of these things in nature... And this ties back to its uh, essentially its Taoist roots, because Zen is kind of an outgrowth of Mahayana and Taoism, Chan Buddhism, like in, in China. And so you're trying to constantly get out of this logical conclusion. And that's a bad habit we all have, right? We all, there must be a reason, like, you know, one of the, what's one of the, the most famous sayings in the world? What's the meaning of life? There is no meaning of life because you're trying to give a logical conclusion of something which is beyond logic. There is no meaning. Life itself has meaning to the point that you give it meaning. That's right. You know, but it life itself has zero meaning because it's beyond logical conclusion.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that I how I reacted towards um, when I heard the first time mm-hmm. instantly you try to give an answer in a very logical way yes. why because that's what uh, you have been thinking mm-hmm. that's how you have been thinking became it's just a habitual way of thinking right mm-hmm. so but then you think come up with an answer but that doesn't sound doesn't seem right doesn't fit right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's uh, it just more to definitely just more to do with um your immediate reality, Mm. and you have to allow yourself to be able to see clearly what's really going on around you instead of you are trying to filtering through your own mind. Mm.
0: Well, that's the development of the practitioner in Zenzi. When you are given a koan, if you're picking it up, if your mind is in the habit of picking it up and trying to figure it out intellectually, you're still at a very low level of understanding. Mm so the development of going through the zen koans is not that habit of picking it up but that's a that's a a, a transformation of the mind See, so that's a mind that's residing more in the essential world and so when it when it hears the koan or it reads the koan he or she it essentially is brought back to the essential world it understands the koan the koan is to facilitate the essential world that's it's to un- understand that world, and there's not an intellectual understanding as as you know we'll go through some of these koans and, but there's not an under- there's not a uh, an intellectual understanding. There are in a sense, like I mentioned, some of the different koan styles. Like if we look at the uh, uh, clarify with words, in a sense, you can see that there's a uh, some sort of you can understand it better than, for example, if you. Listen to a Dharma body koan or a koan that is difficult to pass. Mm. Koan with devices and koans with the clar clarif- that clarify with words that they're, they're easy to understand in some sense, but the other two are very difficult, and and so we'll get into a lot of those in a minute. But yeah, that's something for people to think about: is that if you if you're picking up the koan, and you're trying to give it like give it to your mind in the sense that we can work this out, like we can work out a mathematical equation you're already at some in some sense a low level of spiritual development.
1: The thing is when you hear the zen koan first time around, right? What we instantly think first before we even try to answer it is that what would be the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. in our education we we ought to uh come up with the right answer to solve the problems, right? Mm, mm. And from doing so, you get the good grade, right? Mm. So we are so accustomed to that way of thinking. So when you get the question, instantly you think, you think, oh, what would be the right answer to this? Mm, mm. But that itself is already fraud, I think. Because there is no right or wrong answer to the Zen comments. No. You come up with something that is appropriate but spontaneous in the immediate moment. So that you should not think of what, is the, what would be the right answer. That itself is already, you ruined the um, test pretty yeah, much, yeah, right?
0: exactly. And that's a good point because if we look at the, you know, the farmer and son story, what's essential about the farmer and son story in Zen, where we'll see that the farmer has infinite patience and so that's what you have to also have with the koan. So if you get the koan and you're sitting there and you've tr- you got the pen and paper and you're, tr- you're trying to work it out and this and that, you're already, like you said, you already failed. Yeah. Because you're not being patient with the koan. You're not letting the koan do its work on the inside.
1: You, you are kind of handicapped to feel the question, yes. right? Yes. Instead of trying to intellectually thinking about the question.
0: Yes, that's right. That's right. And that's that's what Zen specifically is trying to get you out of that intellectualizing of the of of a question or of a riddle or a puzzle. It's trying to get you out of all of it. it. Doesn't matter. Any situation is trying to get you out of intellectualizing because it's trying to get you back in the essential world where all spontaneity and all life arises from. So it wants to get you back there, get your mind back transfixed into that reality. So then you are like a limb of the universe. You know, in Hinduism they say a limb of Shiva or, or in Taoism they'd say you're an aperture for the for the universe. They're trying to get you back to that realm where you are not you know, handicapped by intellectualizing, over-rationality, overthinking and over-analyzing in general.
1: And you need to be able to fully embody that state of mind, isn't it? Yes. F- through your body, through your mind. Yes. To be able to... Be in that um, stu- uh, intuitive but appropriate state of mind.
0: Exactly. So we'll start going through some of the koans now. We'll, we'll begin with the Dharma body koans. And for those who are not familiar with that sort of terminology, Dharma body is kind of like the, the Atman in Vedanta, or the. But- actually, you could translate that as Buddha nature, suchness tatata in 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 buddhist philosophy so it's it's basically our central nature when we talk about dharma body koans so you know why they are called dharma body koans is because they're supposed to thrust you back into the, the dharma body mm. they're supposed to throw you...
1: so that's one kind of zen koan that's one kind of zen right. koan
0: yeah there's many kinds of zen koans as i said we'll go through some of the more popular styles like i said where we've got the dharma body koans we got the coins that teach through devices. We've got the coins that clarify through words and the coins that are difficult to pass. There's other variations, but we're getting too technical if we go into that realm. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep it simple so people can kind of understand. But so when we talk about the Dharma body koans, I've got three specifically here that we'll check out. And actually you're familiar with a lot of these ones. So as you know, uh, Joshu is, is very popular in, uh, you know, Zen history and the lineage of Zen. And so these are these are three Dhamma body koans. Actually, I'll read four. I'll read four here. Uh, so the first one, a monk asks Joshu in all earnestness, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Joshu said, mu. Mu means no. Yeah. Hakuin said, this is the second Zenkoan Hakuin said, "We know the sound of two hands clapping. What is the sound of one hand?" Now, th- there's different translations of that. Some people say one hand clapping, but actually, <laughs> 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 but the proper translation probably should be, "What is the sound of one hand?" Not one hand clapping. Mm. And then the next one, a monk asks Tozan. Tozan is. Uh, for those in Chinese. Uh, a monk asked Tozan in all earnestness, what is Buddha? Tozan replied, three pounds of flax. That's one we were talking about out of uh, Alan Watts' The Way of Zen.
1: I think that's one of the very well-known ones. Yes, mm-hmm. I've
0: mentioned it in, in no. most of my books, actually. Yes, yes. And then the last one, uh, Tai Bai asked Baso in all earnestness, what is Buddha? Basel replied, "The very mind is Buddha." So, first of all, like the first one, when when a when he asks uh, by the when he's asked by the monk, does a dog have Buddha nature? And he says no. So, I guess you know when you instantly when you try to figure that. Well, first of all, uh, the monk is is asking Joshu about something that. Should be immediate and should be a, a, an understanding. It's not essentially that the, that the dog really has no Buddha nature. You know, he's trying to get him out of, in a sense, out of the over analyzing about who. That's
1: who, what's testing. What's testing with them. this question? I yes. Think. Yes. Mm, like you would think that hmm, everything is part of nature, so that the dog mm. must. Have Buddha nature. This is uh, you yep. see already intellectualizing and in you're thinking, yep. rationalizing it, right? Then mm. you say, you, uh, "The answer is yes." It's like just like <laughs> a bloody um, the, quest, uh, uh, and the question to answer a question of in an exam or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Joshua's not very politically correct, obviously. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, because it's got be, um, to be spontaneous. It's got to be spontaneous,
0: and it's got to hit you, and it's got to hit you at a level that takes That's you. That's right. Takes you out of that mind. Yeah,
1: it's got to be spontaneous, but intuitive, and it has to be in. Uh, it has to be appropriate as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So, it's, it's, so it's, Joshua's just he's he's just functioning from that spontaneous nature, and so he's just given spontaneous response, but it's appropriate to what the monk requires. Because you know, the monk is too caught up in, like you said, like we can all sit around and, <clears throat> and wax lyrical about all beings have the Atman and all beings are part of Buddha nature. And we can wax lyrical. And he just comes along and goes, no.
1: I think he, you, you would get scolded if you were to say that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah.
1: Almost like, a, um, the, I don't know, master would say, oh, so you know all this,
0: yeah, yeah. this type yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Definitely. Well, Eastern spirituality and philosophy in general is not a place for political correctness or no social all. justice warriors or any of that it's about the truth people yes and hakawan's one interesting right mm. we, we you know we know the sound of two hands clapping what is the sound of one hand instantly when you hear that if you're at a good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you sit around you're sitting around <laughs> i think i can hear it, I think yeah. it and it's like no no you're missing yeah. the point like because instantly when if you're at a deep level of understanding when you hear that that should thrust you into the essential world because mm. you you know, for example, the sound of two hands clapping. We all know that. Yeah. 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 But what's the sound of one hand? Mm. Instantly when you let the Koan work and you just allow it to do its thing, it puts you it takes you out of of rationality.
1: That's right, because the question itself is quite um, stupid, right? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No? I shouldn't say stupid, it just doesn't make any sense. That no, doesn't right? make sense, yeah. Because it's not clapping, no, right? No. But yeah, that's the whole um, motive of this question, to get, to get you out of that mindset. Yes,
0: yeah. yes. Some of the translations used to say, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Mm-hmm. And then you had some clever people going,
1: Ah. it's it like this <laughs>
0: but actually the proper translation is what's the sound of one hand, one hand. <clears throat> because two hands on the uh when they have friction and they hit they make sound one hand on its own without anything what sound does it make
1: no sound yeah, it,
0: yeah instantly a gong should go off in yeah, your head yeah, you know what I mean mm. so mm. and one of the ones that you and I have the longest history with is you know Tozan's one or Tungshan Chochu what is Buddha pounds of flax and you know there was a lot of I mean, a lot of conjecture and a lot of people in zen would say oh yeah but tozan was just he was weighing flax at the moment at that point in time and he was trying to just exhibit spontaneity that about moment. in that moment but uh, further study of the koan is, is is talks about just the complete irrationality of the answer because it's one of the more irrational ones that there are because you're asking what is Buddha and the master's answer is three pounds of flax so if you logically you're thinking around and flax is we should be eating that stuff asap because that's that's (laughs) if you
1: take it literally yeah you take it literally
0: that's got Buddhahood we better we better eat that asap so you know so there's there so that's the one of the more irrational Mm -hmm. collines but it's one of the most effective and Actually, the 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 sound of one hand, and also the three pounds of flax one, are the two of the actually the the first koans you you receive in Zen, but also they're the ones that later on you're const- They're the ones that kind of sit with you for for your whole development within mm-hmm. Zen practice, and so yeah, so you know uh, the monk. At that time, you know, if we, if we look at that story, say if it was a real story, apart from just being a koan, they were saying the monk at that time uh, thought that, you know, the, the teacher was just being a damn fool and, and thought Tozan was just trying to exhibit, maybe trying to exhibit just spontaneity from an activity he was doing. Maybe he was weighing flax, as I mentioned, but it's about the complete, getting you back into the complete irrationality of the answer the the irrational response is supposed to drive you out of your mind
1: the reason why i think this question what is buddha is so tricky for practitioners that when you get questioned with something like that you instantly would try to come up with a good answer why because you are practicing buddhism Mm, right mm, mm. so that is the kind of ultimate Question that you carry forever, right, Mm -hmm. as a Buddhist practitioner. Mm. So that when you get questions like that, you would be instantly thinking, oh, I gotta get this right. (laughs) It will get you a little bit nervous, right? Yeah, of course. I think that is why, like you said, this question, this specific question carries you over a long time of. in practice and progress,
0: I think. Yes. Mm. Yes, definitely, definitely. And the last one, actually, the last one is is the same question: "What is Buddha?" Right? And then, um, Basso replies, "The very mind is Buddha." And so, instantly, when you're given that koan, what do you? What? Do, what's your initial response when you hear that? You start to. How do I say? You kind of feel your mind, but you feel it in the sense not like in an intellectual level, you're kind of feeling your your whole encompassed Mm -hmm. uh, awareness in a sense, like your pure awareness, because when someone says what is the Buddha and the very mind is the Buddha, you're instantly stopped because you you know, and and these are the beauty this is the beauty of the common because we've mentioned many times it gets you out of intellectualising, but it also gets you out of conceptualizing, of having concepts of what the Buddha is, what Buddha nature is. What is Buddh? What is pure awareness? It gets you out of this kind of the feedback loop that we constantly are in, especially when we're learning the philosophy of spiritual practices. Not saying, you, not saying you, you, you shouldn't learn those, but the problem is is when we over-conceptualize, this is where the problems happen. And that's why koans usually are for those who have, uh, in some sense, have deepened their practice in, the, in, the, in meditation. Cohen's before that, like I so say, what you and I are basically talking about today is we're giving people kind of the inside dope on what would happen if they were going further in their meditation practice.
1: It's very tricky because, like you say, you need to understand the conceptual mm. side of it, mm. but also you need to elevate your um, perspective and insight. To be able to get out of the concept, but to stay on track. Stay on track, yeah. It's very tricky. Mm. That's why, as I mentioned earlier, it's almost like you need to have an intellectual understanding, Mm. Mm. but you also need to have an intuitive mind to get out of that conceptual mind, but to also be able to see... Everything else also makes sense yes. as well, yes, yes. And that is whole purpose of Kwan, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and the, the the answer was the very mind of. Uh, the very
0: mind is Buddha. Is
1: Buddha? Yeah, that's right. But someone would say the the mind is, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> mind is always changing. changing is yeah, yeah. Something. Again, that's over intellectualizing, right? Yeah. But again, like you said, in that moment, the Baso yeah. felt felt through his own mind Mm -mm. from getting that question. Mm -hmm. Then he came up with the answer, which Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. appropriate answer for that moment Mm -hmm. um, of what was happening within himself, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. And if we were to give any sort of logical understanding to that, we could say that Basso is, is expressing... The actual nature of mind, and the actual nature of mind from a Buddhist perspective, and this and this translates over into Hinduism, Taoism as well, is that the mind is empty, spontaneous, and free. That's its nature. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean it doesn't conceptualize. It doesn't think. It doesn't intellectualize. It does that also as well. But they are not its nature. Its nature is empty, spontaneous, and free. That's its so-called irrational nature. That's the that's the uh, connection with the or the reality of the essential world is that empty spontaneous and free reality
1: yeah again that's uh you you get to see phenomenal world mm-hmm. but also you should be able to see uh, essential world mm-hmm. which includes the phenomenal, phenomenal world, world yeah, yeah yeah, and which is that nature yeah of course nature from
0: yeah. that place there's no distinction actually between essential and it, it's, no, kind, it's yeah. kind of a commingled reality because you're seeing it just you're actually seeing it from the empty spontaneous and free place yeah. and so everything is well from that perspective shanti you yeah. know what i mean everything is peaceful everything is actually in some sense non-dual and one and so that's the uh, the reality of from that place and so i was going to say something but i forgot what it actually was uh, to elaborate on what you were saying but anyway i may think of it later but <laughs> there's you know so that's, again, they, those are the Dharma body koans, right? Those mm-hmm. ones to try and get you out of you know, rational rationalizing, intellectualizing. They're all doing that, actually.
1: Again, you, it's, like you said, no, Dharma body, body was uh, no, Atman, yeah, yeah. Brahman. So that, that the question is um, yeah, something related to that. That, yeah. Like, yeah. So, that,
0: so in Buddhism, you'd say the suchness, like that's that... Yeah. that Mm. that suchness you know like Mm. that the dustness that that reality that we're trying to constantly get back to in in practice in um, our our spiritual path and so you know koans are facilitating that and so we'll move on we'll move on to the next um the next style of koan which is uh in one of my favorite ones, the, the koan using d- devices. And devices means like using something as a a device to awaken someone's reality. So um, one of the more famous ones was a, a, a koan involving Obaku, Zen master. And it's so, a... A question was posed to Obaku: What is the fundamental truth of Buddhism? Obaku gave him sixty blows. That's just- <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> just like, whew, yeah, 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 like-
0: yeah. But do you see the you see the, see the use of the device to shock mm. the the monk? Bang, 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 bang. You're asking what is the tr- oh. you're asking what is the truth of Buddhism? I'm going to give you sixty blows. Did you get it? So it's
1: so that device
0: is to... Is to get you into the essential world. That's what the device is for.
1: So how does that work? So the master asks you a question.
0: No, no, no. They, no. They, the, the student asks the master the question. Obaku is the one giving 60 blows. Ah,
1: uh, student asking yeah. master a question.
0: Yeah, so the question in Rinzai was, what is the fundamental truth of Buddhism? And Obaku gave the disciple 60 blows. Ah. Uh. You know, they usually use the, the stick on the shoulders. Yeah,
1: and really loud.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, do so you see the, the use of a device to get you back into that essential world?
1: Uh huh. So, yes, yeah, so a disciple asked the question the yeah. master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the master gave. What is the answer? fundamental
0: truth of Buddhism? The answer is 60. The answer is this. <laughs> so, see, this is why I said earlier, you can understand, and, and we'll get to the uh, clarifying with words next but like the the device one and the clarifying with words you can kind of understand what at them a little bit more than the the dumb body
1: that's like ooh, mind blowing <laughs> yeah 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 I, I like that you like that yeah, yeah i like that cuz cuz it's so obvious question as a student what is the fundamental yeah fundamental, fundamental truth, truth, of, Bu- truth buddhism. of buddhism yeah, yeah, yeah. and you want to hear that answer from your master mm-hmm. as a Zen practitioner.
2: Yeah.
1: And they just... <laughs> <laughs> that's the answer. But so, that's so true. That's so true, yeah. Like...
0: Because yeah. yeah. you're, <laughs> you're intellectualizing, right? You're, you're, you're rather, That's
1: right.
0: So where do you need to go? Your master
1: to, going like, just wake the hell up.
0: Yeah, you wake the hell up. And what do those blows do? They bring you back to that reality.
1: Because it is like that, like... I mean, I think we heard something like that. From Alan Watts' talk, I think, mm. um, when you practice zazen, mm. and I mean we know this, and when you when the master see you a little bit like leaning this or that way, moving back and forth, mm. and mm. you just keep, yeah, ah, yeah, you
0: yeah, yeah. know that from Zen practice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: just like get out of it,
0: yeah, yeah, wake up, wake up, uh, yeah, because you're do- you're not just that you're dozing. Usually when the body is moving around it means you're kind of wandering with your mind yeah. as well. So you're out you're out of that yeah. presence or you're out of like the dharana what the term in yoga the, the heightened sense of concentration. Yes. You're out of that reality.
1: The other day I was listening to Ellen Watts' talk, right? And mm. he was talking about some other one of his friends who was very um renowned a Buddhist teacher mm. who gives a, a lecture here uh, now and then back in the day mm. and then she uh, came up in the lecture room and people sitting and they look around and like why are you here? Why are you all here? <laughs> and just yell it out WAKE yeah.
2: UP! Like just, just <laughs> yeah. screaming Screaming like, yeah, yeah.
1: and people like <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah that was kind of introduction of the lecture he was saying mm. like yeah, that that is so zen. So though. zen, yeah. yeah.
0: It is, it is. Because really you're trying to just you you are trying to wake them up yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's what the that that's actually a device. Yeah. You see, that's a teaching the ah. koan through device. As a device, you're trying to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not. It is kind of a riddle in a mm-hmm. sense because you you know what are you doing here and then you're. Resp- and then you answer, like, you know, wake up, like, you know. Because so,
1: people come up and listen to a lecture, yeah, sure. like, with a pen and note and, like, yeah, you're, really keen interest yeah. to, to learn something. Yeah. Yeah. Again, thinking intellectually, yeah. but then yeah. teacher come up and just wake the hell
0: up. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about a little b- before when I mentioned that, like, mm. the, that kind of conceptual framework that, is required as kind of a scaffolding, yep. but to realise the essential world, it's not. The problem is, as over theorising and philosophising and only just dwelling in that world. And so that's why people are turning up with the pen and paper because they want to, and you should want to yes. learn. You know, we we got to be clear. You should want to learn because the concepts and the philosophy accentuate the understanding of the essential world, but they're not the essential world. That's right. still. It's still in the realm of the phenomenal world in the world of duality. But like what Eastern philosophy and spirituality always recognize, we are humans and we are intelligent. So we need, our intellectual capacities need to be appeased. And if they're not, then sometimes the understandings of, say if you were thrust into the essential world but you had no conceptual scaffolding beforehand, you will slip back on the path because you don't kind of understand the experience that you're going through and at a deeper level. And that's kind of like what you and I are trying to do here with this podcast is trying to give people a lot of the conceptual frameworks to, to develop their practice because that's what we've learned for a long time. And so that's, you know, I'm going off of what we were just talking mm-hmm. about, but that's what I remember. Like it ties into sort of what you were talking about is that, that, but again, the problem is, as Lao Tzu would say, that's all well and good. But if you get stuck in the habit of overlearning and overtheorizing and conceptualizing, then that's going to inhibit your spiritual development.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, Buddhist masters in the uh, history all said the same thing: mm. that you can read all these uh, sutras and Heart Sutras and Diamond Sutras, sutras after sutras, and. 100% but none of them really matters in the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. If you were to cling to those uh, words, yep. right? Yes. Eventually you'll be able to just burn it all mm. and just walk away, walk away. But with full f- fully understood
0: mm.
1: kind of mind.
0: And the person you're talking about though is the enlightened person. See, Mm -hmm. they can burn it all. Yeah. So we need to clarify that, like, because in the end, you can do that. At the beginning, I mean, we've seen this too, right? Mm -hmm. Where people will read someone, and someone may have say, "Oh, you don't need all these books. You don't need all these rituals and this and that." And but they haven't done any practice, and they haven't made any, you know, philosophical development or even spiritual development, and then. They just end up being the same person they were before. So, what you're talking about is from the perspective of an enlightened person. Yes. When you get to that stage, mm. when you reside in the essential world, according to Zen, you don't need all these rituals, mm. and you don't and you don't need to actually pay homage to the Buddha anymore. You don't need to do all of this. You can just go about your business mm. because you've 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 there. Mm. You worked it out. The other stuff is is related to the phenomenal world.
1: You know. Cause that the just the device comment just got me straight like back into like
0: yeah here here yeah yeah exactly like this re- yeah yeah the present moment yeah
1: six what
0: six blows
1: six blows yeah that's the fundamental truth of Buddhism <laughs> got it <laughs>
0: got it yeah. got it definitely definitely got it yeah you,
1: you cannot not get in it
0: that's what I mean see those device ones they work really really well yeah because it
1: just it gets you to snap right out of your own mind exactly exactly like yeah just straight away straight away like, yeah. just uh, <laughs> <laughs> if like, everything just falls away just, yeah yeah just...
0: conceptualizing theorizing intellectualizing
1: <laughs> yeah none of that that's that, all gone it's all like, gone yeah yeah.
0: yeah.
1: instantly it just evaporates yeah 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 it's fun
0: it is yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some other device ones, which I'll, I'll talk about, uh, there's two other ones. There's, a, there's the koan where the teacher has a, a picture of water. So like, you know, like a water jug. So pit, a,
1: uh, picture. Picture, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So not, not a,
1: not a picture. Yeah,
0: picture. Picture, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, let's just say a water jug, right? And it's sitting on the table. And there's two disciples there. And he, he asks the disciples, this, this is a water picture, but don't call it a water picture. The first <laughs> – and so he's, he's trying to evoke an immediate response out of both of them, mm. right? And so the first guy – so that's the device, right? The water pitcher is the device. The first student goes, well, you can't call it a sandwich. And then, <laughs> and then the teacher goes, no, 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 that's too intellectual. Mm. And then the other student just knocks the water, water jug over and walks away. And he's like, this is good. He passed. It's, he passed, yeah. He passed my – you see, so his immediate response was not to give even a verbal answer. He just knocked it over and just
1: because it's complete nonsense. Complete
0: actually. nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know that's what the teachers actually giving them. They're giving them complete nonsense, and how they're going to respond to it. And so, insane. I, you can't call it a sandwich. The. The student's thinking of...
1: Trying to get an answer from somewhere else. Somewhere else, like yeah, a, yeah. To give an answer.
0: Yeah. And actually, when you when you asked that question by the teacher, there's actually no verbal answer you can give. Mm. So the response of just knocking the picture over is...
1: Just a spontaneous Spontaneous, reaction. yeah, a spontaneous reaction. Mm. Like,
0: oh, whatever, boom, gone, I'm out of here. It's stupid.
1: It's almost like a master wants like wild reaction Mm, mm. from students. Yes. Not an intellectualizing the question and how irrational it they can be. Yeah. That's what they're fishing for. That's what
0: they're fishing for, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, And and in a spontaneous way. So if they are completely irrational in a spontaneous manner. With some of these coins, because that coin specifically is not really an appropriate. Well, the appropriate answer is not to give an intellectual answer. Yeah. And so the other the first student didn't pass because it was in a sense intellectual. He had to think of that in in a split second, and he came up with that. And the other one, which is which is famous, uh, I've mentioned this in a couple of my books, and also in, I think, the Art of Effortless Living documentary. I mentioned it. The the um, The master asks the student, I need a representation of Zen tomorrow. So I need a device. So this is the other way. The teacher's not giving a device here. He's asking to receive a device. So To
2: present something. To present
0: something. So the student to present something. So as the story goes, the the student goes to the master's room. He asks this and then he walks away. And he's instantly thinking, like, what can I, Mm. what can I, I mean, how can I exhibit Zen to my my teacher is already enlightened. Like, what the hell can I do? You know, and then, How can I impress? Impress him, yeah. yeah. And so as he was, he went home and he thought about it all night and he's like, he's fretting, he couldn't get any sleep and he's overthinking. And as he's going back to the master's room the next day, he sees a, a frog, which is a particular type of frog, a native frog in Japan. And he's like, oh, perfect. And so... When he gets there, the teacher says, okay, can you exhibit Zen to me? And he goes... Frog. Yeah, and he's like, no, it's too intellectual, Mm. too contrived. The teacher Mm. already knows he's thinking Mm. too much about...
1: Too much effort.
0: Too much effort, and he's just overthinking Overthinking. You know? Mm. So he had to put in a lot of thought to think that the frog is going to somehow... That is right. Is going to somehow impress the teacher what would impress the teacher we don't know in that situation Mm -hmm. but this the point of the story is Mm -hmm. that it's not so much the frog it's so much it's more so the overthinking of trying to come up with a logical conclusion to the answer the to answer the master so you know Mm. so they're kind of that's kind of like the representation of devices obviously the first one with abaku is kind of one of the more famous ones the six blows And as your reaction was, it's kind of one of the ones that have the the more immediate effect. You know, there's so many ones with devices that we could talk about, but that one specifically is one of the best ones. And so, we'll move on to um, clarifying with words. Now, as I say, clarifying with words is similar to actually the with devices because you can you can you can actually see what they're doing with this with these ones you know what i mean so this is a really famous one actually and it's from the gateless gate and many people have probably heard this and again this is joshu you know most of these involve joshu <laughs> <laughs> a monk asked joshu in all earnestness i have just entered this monastery i beg you master please give me instructions joshu asked have you eaten your rice and gruel yet Yes, I have, answered the monk. Joshu said, Then wash your bowls. The monk attained some realization. The other texts say the monk attained instant enlightenment, some realization. Some realization may be a bit more accurate. But you see where that one's going, right? Like, so um, he's giving, he's asking for instructions, and he receives instructions. Immediate, spontaneous instructions in that moment. Did you eat? Yes. Wash your bowls. That's it. That's the instruction you need. It's not anything more than that. You see that the monk's looking for more. He's looking for a logical instruction or a logical understanding. But the simplicity is the answer. It's not the actual... um,
1: It is something... That you would do yep. something without a question. Without, without a question. Without a question, you just do. Yeah. You eat your breakfast and wash your bowl.
0: Exactly, exactly. Mm. And that's the point of clarifying with words. So you mm. see like, you're, he, he, Joshu there is, is giving him a representation through words. Yep. So in, in that sense, that's kind of, he's giving an intellectual answer, though it may seem vague, to so, if you give that koan to someone who's who's not advanced on the path, yeah. they may not get it. That's the instruction, like wash your bowl, like yeah,
1: right. We'll take it uh, as a something you do anyway. You, so is that why is that a teaching? Yeah, why well, is that a teaching? That yeah. sort of yeah. action.
0: Yeah. yeah, we wash our bowl anyway.
1: Yeah, why is that a teaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You see, oh. but he's giving. He's giving the monk instructions
1: that's almost like uh, Lin Chi yeah said um, you're hungry, you eat, mm. move your bowels,
0: mm.
1: you're tired, lie down yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. that's the path to enlightenment
0: that's the Buddha way, yeah that's a simple path. Mm. It's not over theorizing, over conceptualizing, over analyzing, yeah, it's about that. So you see, the monk was hungry and thirsty for knowledge. Yeah. Joshu just said, "This is what you do here. The knowledge is in just the simple things. The knowledge, the Buddha, the way of the Buddha, is in washing your bowl. It's not in overanalyzing, theorizing But the essence of the koan is to the response of Joshu." Should actually put you into that essential world, right? So, him saying, Go wash your bowl instantly, the feeling again, you should have upon reading that koan, it should put you back into that essential world
1: that is so uh, grounded, grounded, uh, yeah, grounded and kind of simplest, simple mind,
0: yeah, because the essence is he's looking for instructions, he gave him instructions if you understand that he gave the right instructions then that puts you in the in that field mm-hmm. that's why in the koan it says he attained some sort of realization or he attained enlightenment in some other translations mm-hmm. because it, joshu is exhibiting the immediate and spontaneous reality that's all there is there's nothing else yeah. Even even the teachings of the Buddha are still something that I have to think about that come from the past that I have to present to you in the future and so forth and so on. And you have to learn this. But you're looking for the deeper understanding of the Buddhist way Then I need to bring your mind back into, like you said, that immediate moment from you reading, uh, listening to the Six Blows. You need to bring the individual back to that place. So that, that's what Joshu exhibiting to to the, the monk in that, in that passage. Yeah. And so, that's, a, that's, a, they, those are the ones that are sort of clarifying with words, like what it is, you know. Um,
1: yeah, giving, uh, from giving words, Yeah. you, you should, uh, get it. You right? should get, you it. Should yeah. get yeah. it. yeah,
0: So they're more descriptive, right? That, yeah, yeah. That coin is more descriptive, it has sign of an, it has a beginning and it has an end, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, what is a Buddha, three pounds of flax, it's, it's psychobabble if you don't understand yeah. Zen philosophy and, and Buddhist philosophy mm. in general.
1: You kind of almost need to look through the to look through the words, exactly. Right? exactly. What, what's uh, between the words? Yeah. If from that you will get the get the teaching.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And one of the other ones, it's it's another famous one a monk asked joshu what is joshu <laughs> joshu answered east gate west gate south gate north gate
2: <laughs>
0: so again what does that mean east gate west gate south gate north gate he, he's all these gates mm. well, no the 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 moral of the story is joshu's everywhere yeah it's not well essentially there is no joshu yeah the essence of Joshu is everywhere. So he's clarifying with words what the nature of our, our Buddha nature is. It's mm-hmm. not a, a localized awareness. It's everywhere. That's the nature of that koan.
1: Again, Joshu is just a name. Just a name. Someone's name. Just someone's name. It doesn't have a, any actual meaning no. or nothing. No. It's just a, yeah, just a word.
0: Just a word. Mm. Really what Joshu is is... Mm. East gate, west gate, south gate, north gate. That's what it is. It, it The essence of all of us is everywhere. But we uh, associate with the localized awareness. And see, do you see the monk is at a perspective of the localized awareness. He wants to know who the person is, who Joshu is. And Joshu knows that there is no Joshu. It's a name that I've been given. But I'm beyond name and form. Mm-hmm. Essentially, my my essential nature.
1: Right. You know. Yeah. The question is so like, yeah out of it question yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: so again that's the there, there's many ones that clarify with words, but those two are very simple for 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 people to understand mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and so usually on the path, this is where we come to the coins that are difficult to pass, so the thing is with the coins the that are difficult to pass is that sometimes they're used in two ways: they're used for someone who's a real hard nut. They can't break their, their intellectualizing and conceptualizing. They're, they're used, and the reason why they're called difficult to pass is not because they're difficult to p- pass, like as in an, as in an exam, mm-hmm. like you pass the koan. The, the the koans themselves are difficult, like think of a peak of a mountain. They're difficult to get over. So mm-hmm. all of your theorizing and conceptualizing is, is gone. Mm-hmm. So these are more intense koans. Right. To get you out of it, they're used for for the hard nuts, like the the lay person who's who can't quite get the the Dharma body koans or the devices or the clarifying with words, but they're also used for people who are who are far developed on the path too, because essentially it keeps you in the well, reading these koans keeps you in the essential world.
1: Mm. Yeah, when I heard a difficult koan, I thought literally. Difficult, difficult to pass or something difficult like to that, pass, but yeah, of course, yeah. it's more so for people who have such very intellectual yeah. mind.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, the difficulty, well, the thing is, the koan is supposed to work on our inside, right? So the difficulty in this sense is within us. The difficulties reside within us.
1: To overcome it is difficult. To
0: overcome it mm-hmm. is difficult. Okay. Do you see? That's mm-hmm. why they called the the koans are difficult to pass because mm-hmm. the, the the difficulty lies within us because. Some people have developed or have been conditioned to be super rational and overthink about everything and intellectualize, and that's not their fault. That may have been their upbringing and so forth and so on. But from the Eastern perspective, we all have, we well, we we are all Buddha nature deep down. We're all the Atman. We're all the Self, and we need to get back to that place eventually because that's where we're going to go anyway when when the body falls away and so these ones that are difficult to to pass are designed for those who just have had more so and and that would likely be most people that is true (laughs) in in the modern world right because we live in the super rational reality where we think that since post-enlightenment Europe where rationality became the big the big thing that we think that this is the best way for us to live. And obviously, with the way the world is now, we need to reevaluate that, and we need to look at alternatives and different cognitive approaches which Eastern spirituality and philosophy facilitate. Yeah. And so, let's have a look at some of these ones that are difficult to pass. So, um, where is it? So the first one, the wind blows in the azure sky and the floating clouds disappear. The moon rises over the blue mountain, a single bright jewel. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, exactly. Your initial sh- response should be, what, what the <laughs> hell? Yeah, what the hell? Mm. All right, second one. The rain lifts, the clouds converge. The dawning is midway. Like myriad delineated peaks, lie the emerald crags. (laughs) So, again, a koan can be easy for one person, but it can be difficult for another. That's what we need to remember. And so, when we talk about difficult to pass, as I mentioned, the difficulty of the koan lies within the student or the practitioner, not essentially in the koan. Mm. Yes, yeah, so
1: it's subjective. It's, it's, subje- it's definitely it can be it's, easy for some people. And exactly, yeah. that's
0: why, like I said, the difficult mm. to pass ones are usually for two particular people: a beginner who's a hard nut to crack, and a, a very advanced practitioner. Mm. But they're used differently, mm. and and when we say understand, we're not talking about again logical understanding. The understanding means that it puts you into the essential world. That's the understanding. Uh. So, in a sense, you're seeing the the aestheticness of the koan and the beauty of the koan f- when it puts you into that 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 realm, that field. And so, like like I said, the first one: the wind blows in the azure sky, the f- and the floating clouds disappear. The moon rises over the blue mountain, a single bright jewel. So it's almost like, in a sense, like poetry.
1: Yeah, that, oh yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, that's it's, right.
0: It's almost like poetry. But mm. the thing is, is that the reason why, in a sense, they, it makes, com, in some sense, com, doesn't make any sense at all is because they're supposed to be so difficult, you see. That's why they're difficult to pass. Remember I said it's mm. like yeah. we need to think like a mountain peak, yeah. like you're trekking up to Everest and you're out of oxygen. But the out of oxygen here is that the conceptual uh, thinking and intellectualizing, you're out of breath. Because when you read that, you're like,
2: "Huh?"
0: (laughs) this look that I have now, like where you sit there and you're vacant, that's actually what that Um, is supposed to evoke. It's supposed to evoke an emptiness out of you because there's not really an answer to this koan. Not that there's an answer to any of the ones that we've read so far,
1: I think for this one, why it's difficult, is that you wouldn't know how to respond to this. No. That itself is already yeah. like that's why. Yeah, that's why it's difficult, yeah. Because
0: yeah. there's no real, there's no the other one. It's not a
1: question. It's not like no. it's not demanding anything. Like, no, no,
0: it's just like poetry. Yeah. And there's nothing really that you can answer. Like, what can you answer? Um, floating <laughs> clouds disappear. Of course, they disappear. I mean, like, you can only make statements about it. Right. But, like, if you're sitting there and trying to rationalize and intellectualize this, you can't come up with an, with an answer. Whereas if you look at some of the ones we read before, you know, the the, the, the three pounds of flax one, okay, maybe he was measuring something at the time. And you can, you can come up with some sort, some, some sort of logical conclusion that you think will appease yourself. But here you can't come up with anything because the moon rises over the blue mountain, a single bright jewel. So, in some sense, what you can get from these ones that are difficult to pass is the emptiness of the nature in this comment. Do you see? The moon rises over a blue mountain, a single bright jewel. The The imagery evokes an emptiness when you think about the the moon over the mountain. There's, You know when you see that in nature, there's a, it evokes an empty, not not an empty feeling, in a negative way, but an emptiness within your mind because you you are kind of coming to harmony with
1: the clarity, the
0: clarity, yeah. Mm-hmm. And saying when the wind blows in Asia sky, the floating clouds disappear, so the sky is is completely, really completely empty and pure. It's just the clouds are are obstructing that reality. You see, so the the these coins themselves are, are in subtly speaking about a not like a absolute reality but through poetry and through nature
1: it almost like wants you to feel again yeah it allows you to feel the the way of nature again yes, I think that's the that's the intention behind uh, yeah. these difficult ones. Yeah. Difficult columns.
0: Well, you, you know mm. the f- famous one with Tozan, which is the, you know, when I didn't, when I didn't know the uh, the mountain was the river and the river was a mountain, and when I did know the mountain became the mountain again and the river became the mountain again. Uh, the river became the river again. It's so like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: But these are the difficult to pass ones, seeing like so first of all everything was upside down when he thought about it in a certain way when he thought about reality in a certain way the the mountain was the river and when he was conceptualizing because he couldn't make sense of reality but when when he became enlightened everything was just as it is and these difficult to pass ones are trying to tell you on a very subtle level the way things are and in a way that well, it's obviously difficult to pass, but like, th- because there's no real understanding. I mean, we could unpack this any which way you want, yeah, yeah. And we could both come up with different conclusions, but there's no conclusion to this, really. No. It's almost like a verification of the essential world. These, mm. these, these difficult to pass ones. It's a verification of the essential world. Mm. For an advanced practitioner, that's what they see. It's a verification of the essential world. So when they hear it. They themselves are already dwelling mm. in that essential reality. So when they hear it, it's kind of I don't know I even want to say a reminder. It's just like if you're a fan of Bach, it's like listening to Bach. It's like listening to a beautiful piece of music. That's what it's like for the advanced practitioner. But for the ones that are difficult to pass on the inside for the beginner, it's it's a completely different thing. It's a thing to get you back so you can hear the music. Mm. You because know, mm. most people can't hear the music in this koan because it's too difficult mm.
1: Mm. you know mm. yeah one who have realized mm. this koan will get you in that state of mind it's kind of a, a yeah reminder reflection yeah. a bit of that yeah. yeah and for the one who hasn't realized it it'd be like it, it, it'll it'll allow you to have that experience. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's like coming across Bach for the first time. You listen to Bach for the first time, you don't hear what the experienced ear hears in the music. Mm. You see.
1: If, first time when you hear a piece of music, you don't you don't really hearing it.
0: No. You yeah. know it sounds good. Yeah, it sounds. good. It's, it's pleasant. So, yes. You can listen to this cohen and you go, I like it. It sounds
1: interesting. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good.
0: Okay. Mm. Not that I can make sense of it. Right. Mm. But the advanced one can make sense of it. The advanced person can really hear what Bach is playing and what he's, the emotions and the feelings that are driving it. Mm. The difference here is the emotion and feeling, we could say, is replaced with the essential world that is with this in, yep. within this cohen. Yeah. Can you feel the essential world in the koan? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Your ear's not attuned.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so you need to let this koan do the work, what it's supposed to do. Because obviously you can't hear the music of the other koans, so we're going to give you this one. See how you go with it. And then what happens? When the student takes this back to their hut, they end up being the most vacant in their mind that they've ever been because when you constantly read this Cohen, you know that there's not a logical conclusion and then what happens in that process you, you you start to actually get get it
2: yeah
0: you know not that there's a get it in a logical way get it in the sense that you can feel the beauty mm. in it
1: yeah it just uh, <clears throat> Um, suggests you to clear up your mind, yep. right? Yeah. And just allow yourself to purely feel what it says.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, like if a master was running a monastery and then some new students came in that day, and he said, "Where, where did they come from?" Well, one's a uh, entrepreneur and has tons of businesses and this and that. He goes in a difficult to pass category. <laughs> Cause, straight up. Straight up mm. because that's going to be a tough nut to crack because he spent his or, or she has spent his whole life intellectualizing, theorizing, worrying and, and yeah. this and that and caught in a dualistic reality that doesn't really exist. It only exists in the mind of the person. That's right. You know, there's... You know, there's many universes are going on within all of us right and we all experience reality differently but especially people like that they experience reality like in a certain way you know and it's usually a stressful and an anxious reality
1: yeah i think this difficult con is for for everyone i think for all of us yeah, for all because of us, yeah. we all live in quite busy life and just every day is just um be full of uh, things that you need to do and mm. Your mind is always rushing and thinking, and mm. it's never have that spacious place within yourself.
0: No. Mm. So, in talking about all of the koans today that we've talked about, if we look at the famous Heart Sutra, right, where it, where it explains form as emptiness and emptiness as form, again, that in itself is a koan, right? That's like one of the, the great saints. That's a good
1: point, yeah.
2: It's,
0: it's a koan in itself. Mm. Mm-hmm. and it's alluding to the essence of reality itself what we spoke about before between the, the two sides of reality the phenomenal or the actual world like that people experience in the, in, the, in the duality in the field of the senses and the essential world that non-dual reality which we all come from and we all go back to and and is imminent with within all life but it's only there for those who have cleanse their mind to see
1: again like um, when we look at the space Mm. the universe Mm. it's a a lot of I mean a lot of us will think that it's a whole lot of empty space out there right Mm. but many um, philosophers in the past and also actually um, many scholars who studied uh, Neo-Confucianism would say it's just full of Full of space, I mean, full of things in that space.
0: Full it's of energy. Full
1: of energy, yes. It's not just empty. They see through that empty space, mm, meaning mm. they understood what that empty space is so important mm. to give birth to manifestation, right? Yes, yes. And they were, they were able to see it that way and Mm. they had that level of perspective I think that's the big difference Um, many people will see the world as it is as just a dense solid um, what this is table this is cup Mm. like just very simple conceptual way of uh, interpreting things right but then there's people who uh, can see through things this is not just the table, not just the dense world. Mm, mm, mm. You know, it, it's a perspective thing. Yeah, it's a perceptual thing, right? Yes, that's right.
0: According to each and every individual, those who really understand and those who don't. Like you mentioned, space—it's—it's it's similar to like, well, it's the same actually to the Taoist mentality of you know what's what's more valuable—the space, the cup itself, or the space within the cup. And so you're you're flipping the 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 concept of reality on its head because we think only in sense of the duality, the the world of forms, the phenomenal. But what about space itself? What about including the reality that actually holds the world together, even the space between you and I, the space between all of us, that actually holds us together like glue? And I know that that may sound a bit weird, but that's like you said, from a Neo Confucian perspective, like if you look at the universe, they tell you to contemplate on not the stars but the space mm. within the stars, because that itself is full of energy, holding the universe together. Yeah. And so, to get to the essential reality, you need to realize that as well. You know,
1: again, just the last phrase of the very first chapter of Tao Te Ching: yes, yes. "Darkness within the darkness." the manifestation of all things, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: the gate to all mystery. Gate yeah. to
1: all mystery, yes, that's right. Mm. So that's exactly the same uh, interpret, interpretation, yeah. form and emptiness.
0: And in talking about the first chapter of the Dao de Ching, it describes the mentality that you were talking about. Ever desiring, one only sees the manifestation. Ever desireless, one sees the, the Dao, one sees the, oh. the origin of all life. Mm-hmm. You see? So when your mind, in a sense, is transfixed on a reality of form and of concepts of what you can get out of reality, a sense of I, Mm. then you can only see the manifest world and you only operate within the manifest world and you you don't even know about the other world. Yeah. You see?
1: That's not even in your scope at all.
0: You did not know about it. Yeah. It's not a concept of knowledge. Not at all. It's not a reality, not an experience. And so... What these koans are supposed to do is bring those people back into resonance with that essential world, so then they don't just see the manifest, mm. and they're not ever desiring. They're ever desireless, as it says in the Tao Te Ching. You know, the desireless sees sees the Dao, sees the the origin of the ten thousand things, Yeah. the mother of the ten thousand things, mm. and so that's what these. Coans are trying to do, and that's what the Heart Sutra is alluding to, right? Form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. It's an essential reality that, uh, from the enlightened perspective, there's not a separation. See, that's a statement from an enlightened perspe- perspective that there's form is emptiness, emptiness is form, samsara is the nirvana divine samsara. But those, uh, not as advanced on the path as as an enlightened practitioner. They need to, in a sense, have a, a perspective of two sides of reality. Ah. So there is the phenomenal world, there is the essential world. Mm-hmm. Because there is, mm-hmm. but at the same time, when your mind begins to transform and begins to come back into its nature, then you see the unmanifest within the manifest. You see the emptiness within the form.
1: Yeah, right. You, you need to allow yourself to choose to see... Things in two different.
0: At a stage, at a level of development. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's
1: what I'm talking about. Yes. So you also see the world with the form and whatnot, but you also need to choose to see the other way around, which gives you a completely different um, perspective. Of course, yeah. And things.
0: You need that, just that distinction, because the distinction does exist, but. From an enlightened perspective, there's, the reality is one. There's not yep. not a separation. But are, are you and I, or anyone listening, at that stage, of course, not. So we have to continue to understand that that there are two sides of the yep. coin, but the coin is one coin. You know.
1: In the end, ultimately, again, like uh, in the path of Zen practice or whatever Eastern yep. uh, spiritual practice. You need to be able to sit in that middle way, yes. isn't it? That yes. is the um, ultimate mm, place, yes. and that is the enlightened uh, place to be, right? Yes, yeah. And in everything, it's perfect in balance. The way you perceive the world, mm. and you can actually move through either way, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. At times, and yes. but you not get cling, You don't get cling to either side yes but you are you've, you firmly stand on that middle way
0: yes yeah well there's a the latin scholastic word one of my favourite words a of eternal so the individual that sits on the cusp of the middle way basically of eternity and time right so what we're talking about there is we're talking about the essential world and the, the, phenomenal, the world. phenomenal world the phenomenal world the world of emptiness mm. so the individual that sits on the cusp so right in the the middle. middle, yeah. So they live in both worlds, and and in some sense the worlds are not different. And again,
1: them. like you mentioned before, at the beginning of the podcast, that there you acknowledge there are two sides of reality, but in the end, all of that is one, yeah. And that is that itself is essential world. Yes. That. Again, that, again, that, that's a pure non, non-dual non perspective, yes, isn't it? Yes, You know there is a phenomenal world and there is essential world, but ultimately it's one thing. One it's thing, non-dual. yeah. It's yeah, non-dual. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. And the real nature of the world is the essential world. Yeah. You know, so we have the phenomenal world and we can say that they both exist as one, but the real nature of the whole world is the essential world.
1: Yeah. Just like I think... There's emptiness before all things, yes. before the yes. form. Yes. There's only emptiness.
0: One, we got two, two, we've
1: got three, yep. three, we've got the 10,000 Yes,
0: that's right. And so the problem in our world is the average person doesn't know about the essential world. Mm. Even, you know, let's speak truthfully here, even religious people don't know the essential world. Because it can't be known essentially through devotion and this and that. It can only be known through deep contemplative practice and meditation and so forth and so on.
1: Very experiential, I think. Very experiential.
0: And if the average person, for example, if they came came in contact with that essential world, we wouldn't have any conflict in the world. It wouldn't exist because there would be no reason for any uh, artificial separation, no... Uh, causes you wouldn't have a cause or an agenda to impose on reality because all causes and agendas have caused all the trouble in the world you know no matter whether you are reacting to a certain cause or you are causing the cause it doesn't matter they're both spawn from the same incorrect perspective so if you understand the essential world there's no reason to act that way But that requires us to get the whole world meditating, the whole world contemplating koans. (laughs) And and I don't think many people would be interested in this. In general, maybe the audience had watched our podcast. But if you're really uh, focused on spiritual development and actually the peace of the world, then you need to turn to this sort of contemplation. Because you're becoming in itself a contemplative scientist, you are dwelling in the lab of your own being.
1: Well, you cannot um, expect the world to be peaceful without you practicing peace, right? So that's kind of um, yeah, it's just a no-brainer. No-brainer, yeah. Something we need to um, put in action. To create the change, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit again. That's all commitment. Mm. Commitment with ourselves, I think. Yes. Not with anyone else, but just with ourselves. Yes. Yeah.
0: And so the 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 the, the spiritual development we need to get to with koans. Mm. We need to, we need to practice koans for everyone listening, and you and I as well. We need to practice koans in tandem with sitting meditation. And this is one of the points of of Zen to, for us to get to that level that you're, we were just talking about we need to practice both of those to get to that level of uh, abiding in the essential world you know living from that place mm-hmm. and seeing the world in a, differently actually you see the world in, in a different manner because you see the world more you know as I would say in Vedanta you're seeing the world as Brahman you don't see it anymore as this as Maya as this dualistic reality that uh, evokes a uh, emotional response out of you that confuses you confuses your mind into thinking that there's this uh you know different agendas and different beliefs and so forth and so on this differentiation begins to disappear this partiality begins to disappear and you come back into that impartial reality
1: yeah From doing sitting meditation, Mm. I think we can challenge a lot of things within ourselves, Mm. meaning that, like, when we, for example, we are drinking tea, right? Mm. And we taste the tea, Mm. and we feel the taste of the tea through our own mind, but when we... Think of when we try to feel anything like that, we tend to go through a bit of a so sort of called the filter. Mm, mm. Filter meaning like uh, the eye. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I f- feel it this way, I feel it that way, like tasty or not, or it's too sweet or mm, mm. not too sweet, or this kind of thing. Whereas you can simply see it like this tea is. Mm, Delicious mm. or mm. sweet. Just simply, to state things as as they are. Yes. Like for example, there is music. You can listen to music. I can listen to music. Mm. Whereas you can just say, uh, "There is music playing."
0: There is music playing. Yeah.
1: So it's a slight different, very subtle different, but you just come to the the pure um, reality to see it without going through the filter. Mm. Of who, are, who is the one that experiencing it? Just instead of doing that, you just allow yourself to see things. The sky is blue, or
0: pure experiencing. Pure,
1: right? yeah. Just things, state things as they mm. are, yeah. you know. And that's to that will, I think, help us to see the immediate reality as they are, without interference with our own interpretation.
0: And you know what? And you know what resides in that place? No stress, no anxiety, mm. just a sense of awe and beauty for the world. A lot of people think that when, with what you said, a lot of people think that oh yeah, but that reality is boring, and it's like yeah, it's, yeah. it's not boring. First of all, you have never experienced that reality, oh. so it's it's a misnomer to say that it's boring. You know, so experience it, come back and. See and, and explain what you did. You did you have stress? Did you have anxiety? Did you have depression? it Doesn't exist because you actually begin to see the world as, as it is. You can appreciate the beautiful blue sky, the, you know, the cry of a baby, the, you know, the, the the sunset. You can appreciate all of these simple yeah. things in life. That's right. You know, yeah. and the problem without. Especially our modern world, is that like you said, like we can just listen to music, right? And music is playing, but we live in a reality.
1: We judge the music, right?
0: Judge the music, but we have music on, and we're also we got Facebook on, we have got Twitter on, we got Instagram oh, yeah. on, and we're doing a thousand things at once. Yeah. And so when you're doing a thousand things at once, where is your mind? What part of that is it focused on, concentrate on? It's not; it's scattered. The mind is scattered
1: or well, f- f- fragmented it's fragmented
0: right? and so what is a, what le- what happens with the fragmented mind it leads to its stress and anxiety right. because the, the point of the mind itself its function is to concentrate is to focus on one thing
1: that's right like that's why when we do sitting meditation the first thing we automatically should do is what the awareness of respiration yes yes Breathing, you watch your breath. Mm. But there's two ways to do it. I mean, like ultimately, there's only one way to do this. But what, how, what, we, what we, we usually do is that you try to control your breath. Mm. That is you, there is you trying to, d- trying to control it. Whereas you should be able to just watch the movement of breath mm. as it's happening. I think that's two completely different places, I yeah. think.
0: Two different realities, really? isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: that's what I mean. You are trying to. Con- you think you are watching the breath, but actually you are controlling it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is exhale, this is inhale. Like this, you know? But we, I've done that. We've all but we've done all that. done that, yeah, of course. At the it's beginning. It's hard not to do And that. it's difficult to get into the deep observation, pure observing. Mm. So at the beginning, we do that, but then ultimately we should be able to just purely watch the breath as it go in and out and in and out, mm-hmm. and some thoughts will arise, mm-hmm. and you should be able to just purely watch it. Mm. We. Be Engage. Once we engage to that thought, then we try to control the thoughts, right? Yeah. I shouldn't be thinking this. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be thinking. This is already you're already gone. You're already fully straight, uh, trapped back in, yeah. right? Yeah, course, yeah. Whereas you should just watch. Ah, oh, It's huh. interesting. This came up today, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it'll just pass. You just let yeah. it, let it go, yeah. and that's actually. I think it's not easy to get to straight away, but that's eventually. Eventually, where we want to be.
0: That's even the most advanced medita- meditation practitioner; they still have the wandering mind. They still have yeah. that sense of, like you said, when we begin meditation and we we are, we focus on being aware of the breath. There still is is a tendency to control. But the difference between, say, the beginner and the advanced practitioner is, for them, it's it it it's easy to overcome and the habit falls away very easily as opposed to the beginner where the wandering mind will keep coming back in and, and the habit to control a situation will, will come back in instead of just being aware. And we know that from practicing a long time too is that you still have those habits. The wandering mind doesn't disappear. The wandering mind is is a kind of a constant yeah. but the... Uh, because your awareness is focused more on the immediacy of reality, naturally too, not forcing the, the focus of the immediacy, is that the wandering mind might pop up, but because it doesn't have any uh, anything to cling to, because your mind's not focusing on the wandering mind, it falls away. And that happens also with the control, right? You may begin to try to control the breath, but... Your sense of awareness on that sense of control allows it to drop away, yeah. even people who practice pranayama go through this, and pranayama mm. is a forceful way of uh, breath work, but they ha- they even experience this as well mm. you know where there 's a kind of a falling away of the focus, mm. and the body is just in this natural flux of mm. say if we 're doing Kapubati pranayama, like the, the breath of fire yep. it 's almost um you could say it's still forceful, but there's not an identification with control, mm. which sounds very strange. Yeah. But that's again, that's from a heightened perspective mm. of the practice yeah. as opposed to a beginner. And so, as you were alluding to, like we need to get beyond those controlling habits yeah. to come back into that field yeah. of, of reality.
1: Mm. And from being able to do that, we can see that world as a emptiness with the space, the form within the space. Yes. We'll be able to see that space yes. without forcing or control. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, that's why, again, like uh, why in the yogic traditions and also the Shramana traditions in India where the individual would just walk and not be associated with any culture and society and this mm-hmm. and that as part of it is to do with not having any sort of fuel in the fire to allow their mind to you know be brought into like uh dramas and emotions and the the, the wandering you know the subconscious is a, is an amazing thing right subconscious will just burp up anything it'll burp up something you experienced when you're six and you're like why am i thinking about that like six like jesus christ i'm 40 now there's mm-hmm.
2: Long time ago Long time ago
0: I don't need to be dwelling on that Mm -hmm. You know So So they themselves Will Dissociate from society And the world in general To enhance that practice That you're talking about And essentially That's what Buddhists are doing too Right So We're talking specifically About Zen Buddhism today That's what they do By planting themselves In a monastery Is to dissociate with society To overcome Those controlling tendencies And the wandering mind Because they inhibit Our spiritual development Definitely, and yeah. and they both, uh, in, in in some sense, inhibit our understanding of koans too. Because when you get a koan, you're trying to control an answer, yeah. or you're trying to come up with an answer, yeah. or you let your imagination run wild with the koan, and of course you come to no conclusion because there isn't a conclusion to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah, it's just completely the opposite. Yes, we should be, yeah, I'll get out of that. Mindset. Yes. Mm.
0: So the point of everything we talked about today was like, as I mentioned, when we practice koans, and we practice just sitting, so when we practice sazen or just sitting meditation in general, is you're trying to get out of that habit, you're trying to get out of habit of intellectualizing, of controlling, of the wandering mind. And so you apply these practices to your life. And it comes back to the, the great Zen master Dogen Senji when Dogen Zenji, when he met his last master, his last, he, he asked his last master, like, what's kind of like, I mean, studying and practicing, sitting, meditation for a long time, read koans and so forth and so on. What's the point of all this? And he's like, the falling away of the body-mind. The falling away of the body-mind. So, the dropping away of that. And that's like a level... Uh, uh, obviously, an enlightened, heightened level. So, when you're in meditation, are you experiencing the falling away of the body mind?
1: Falling away.
0: So, the dropping away, like you're not, mm. the, the no identification with it, it's gone. It's gone. Because it's not really who you are. This is a suit you're wearing, it's carrying the consciousness, the awareness. So in meditation, are you, are you experiencing the, 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 the falling away? Mm-hmm. And see, what the Kohen does is it allows you it, to, mm-hmm. <laughs> the body and mind fall away. Well, it fell away for you in that, the, the, the Kohen on devices before, you know. So the falling away, the complete dropping away, the lack of identification, where you come back to just this, like you said, that pure experiencing, that pure awareness, because mm-hmm. that's all you really are.
1: You forget about your body, you forget about...
0: It's gone. Anything. Yeah, mind's gone, body's gone, nothing's there. Mm. You're back in that place. And the point is, is to get comfortable with that central world. Mm. Because if you're not comfortable with that, then, you know, Mm. the universe is that. And you're trying to hold on to the 10,000 things. Yeah. And... The best of us can only live for 100 years and you're trying to cling on to the 10,000 things.
1: It's too stressful.
0: Yeah, too stressful. And the universe has been around a, a lot longer than the brief 100 years that you're going to live. So where would you rather cling to? The reality you came from and that you will return to? Or this brief yeah. intermediary world?
1: And claim your rights. Claim and your rights. Ownership. Ownership, <laughs> <and, laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Plant your flag. Yeah. This is my legacy. Yeah. It's like your legacy should be to have no legacy, to leave no legend. It should just to be ordinary and to experience the falling away of the body mind, mm-hmm. as as Dogen yeah. S- experienced.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good because yeah, I in a deep meditation. I mean, when we were in a like a forest monastery in Thailand and place like that you do get to experience that just pure awareness in a just dark place but it's good place mm. you know is yeah. that just a pure observing yep. pure awareness
0: yeah you remember yeah, that film um, yoga Songs? The that yep. on YouTube the, yeah yeah, yeah. The Indian, re- Indian, Indian film r- really nice uh, independent document uh, film movie yeah. yeah about 40 minutes long and at, at the end, spoiler alert, at the end, <laughs> the, the, the yogic fella mentions mm. to the guy who was kind of wound up in, you know, fame and fortune, not fame, but like fortune and, and yeah. the 10,000 things. Mm. And he was always afraid of the dark, this guy, right? And then he brings him into the cave. Mm. And then he's like, I, I'm scared of the dark and when he's in there and this and that. And he's like, just, you know, get comfortable. This is the ultimate truth. This darkness within darkness. All there is is the breath. Just breathe. Get comfortable with this reality. And a lot of people will think, well, that's pretty grim. And it's not grim at all because you haven't experienced it. You're speaking from the level of the phenomenal world when you say it's grim and depressing.
1: Yeah, but once you experience, you know that place has no fear. Nothing. No form. No concept. There's no you.
0: No you, yeah. What a relief.
1: That's what I mean. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah.
0: What a relief. It's, it's a good place. It's a good, it's a good place good to be. a good place to be, yes. Yeah, it is It is a... Well, it's not just a good place to be, it's... That's
1: <coughs> the only place, That's actually. the only place, really. <laughs> that's where we came from and that's where we all go back to, mm.
0: right?
1: Mm. Get used to it.
0: <laughs> Get used to it, yeah. And that's what Eastern Spirituality is about, about getting used to it, yeah. about... Um, Coming back to that essential reality, yeah. coming back to that world, and not raging against the dying of the light, as as they would say in what was that in Interstellar,
1: mm. Michael Caine was
0: like, rage, rage against the dying of the light. It's like ah yeah, and it's like no no, don't rage against it. Embrace mm. it, move into it, yeah. but first get comfortable with it while you're alive. Get comfortable with the idea of the falling away of the body and the mind. Because actually, that's, what, that's all there is. So in deep meditation, when you go to, the, to the, the, the depth of meditation, that's what you experience, the falling away of the body and the mind. And koans in tandem with just sitting is, are supposed to evoke, evoke that. I would recommend everyone listening, not just, for example, some schools, like say Rinzai, there's, there's m- probably too much focus on just koans and not as much on sitting meditation. I think they need to go hand in hand more so. And um, because they complement each other. Definitely.
1: Not just one or the other. Yeah. And again, I read that about the common, that you pass the common doesn't mean necessarily that you will be in that uh, pure awareness state forever. Forever, of course not. And it's not like a, not anything like badge of honor at all. No it's just a, like a reminder and reflection
0: Mm-mm.
1: of your practice but that's not just the end goal or something that you need to achieve no. at the end of the road
0: no. yeah well that's the thing like in eastern spirituality a lot of people think that when you are enlightened you are forever like in bliss and and this and that but life goes on you know there's that the old phrase you know Before enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. After enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. I was just thinking that. Yeah, Yeah, you know. (laughs) So like if we use Japanese terminology, when you experience Satori, the thing is after experiencing Satori, you still come back to your senses, but you've recognized the essential world. You've recognized the reality. And you have more of an affinity with that as opposed to the phenomenal world and the reason why you continue to practice koans and sitting meditation not just a reminder but about bringing your mind back into that reality to abide more in that more so than not it's the same with moksha in in hinduism that's the same thing the reason why people continue to practice meditation that one after they've experienced moksha is the same reason because life still does go on yeah. the guru still teaches and the guru still has to eat, and still has to take a crap, and still has to deal with people's problems, uh, and, uh, phenomenally. But their perspective of the world is from the for, from the atman, you know. And that's where we want to get to. With well, that's where we all want to get to. Is that that's where our reality is is lived from?
1: Definitely. And I think also the mind is such a fragile thing; mm-hmm. it can easily slip back into that phenomenal world. Yeah so that we need to that's why all these even great masters keep practicing yes. for entire their life right? of course mm. of course
0: because like what Shunro Suzuki said you practice because that's what Buddhas do yeah. because he was asked by some people in San Francisco back in the 60s or 70s what do you keep practicing meditation for haven't you experienced Satori and he's like no but of course I've experienced Satori but this is what Buddhas do just like, you know, someone, a, a, a grass cutter cuts grass. You know, like a, right. a, a guy who cuts mm-hmm. grass, he mows lawns, mm-hmm. you know. Same. Buddhas meditate. They mm-hmm. they dwell on koans. They, yeah. you know, yeah. th- that's what happens.
1: It's no longer a thing that it's not you a thing. Need to do. No. It's just, just like we brush our teeth, the same thing. Exactly. Right? It's just life. Just like uh, you're part of... Just what you do
0: it's not even a lifestyle choice yeah. it's just what you do it's what you do like you said brush your teeth you have breakfast you
1: yeah you're hungry you eat
0: and meditation becomes part of that yeah.
1: mm.
0: it's nutrition for the buddhist buddha nature yeah just as you have food to give nutrition to the body meditation is giving nutrition to the buddha nature it's, it's, en, it's enhancing your ability to reside in that place As opposed to just saying that I have been enlightened, but then you're still dwelling in politics and all of these things that are are in the phenomenal world. That's how you can test someone's actual spiritual development. I see that a lot online, where a lot of people will converse with me about how they are advanced and so forth and so on. And then you see their behavior and they're angry about certain politicians or certain things that are happening in society. And that's a dead giveaway that they're not anything that they're mentioning. They're not at any certain level. You shouldn't right. have an attraction for those phenomenal things.
1: Yeah, that kind of interest should just slowly fade away, Fade right? away, yeah.
0: Mm. Well, if you're getting to the stage of the falling away of the body and the mind, there is no such concept of politics. politics. or any, Yeah, none of that exists. Not so
1: ever.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. We're talking about body and mind here. Yeah. Not about something that you've experienced yeah. out here.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, so... It's just something that continuously we do it just to make a habit of it and make it part of your life. Yes. And yeah, just like sleep, just like anything that you do in life. Mm. Yeah.
0: Definitely. we mm. I mean, need just a lot of people to come back to that reality. The recognition of the essential world will, will heal everything in the phenomenal world.
1: 100%. 100%. Right. Yeah, 100%. But that doesn't
0: mean like just intellectualizing that there is a phenomenal, yeah. uh, that there is an essential world. Mm. It has to be an actual, exp- like, it has to be in a reality for yourself. Yes. I don't even want to say experience because it's beyond experiencing. Mm. It's beyond experience.
1: Because there's only that, right? There's only that. Yeah. Mm.
0: Experience is something that you experience.
1: Experience, yeah. This
0: mm-hmm. is beyond all experiencing. It's like the Turiya. Mm. Yep. The fourth state of consciousness in Vedanta. In Beyond all experiencing.
1: Yes. Recognition of that. Yep. And you should abide by
0: that. Should abide in that.
1: Abide in that place.
0: Yeah. Or abide as that. As that, yes. As
1: that is yeah, it's a better way to yeah. say.
0: Because you yep. are that. Yep. We all are that. And the problems in the world arise when we believe we are the identity. And then our limited perspective of reality, which is the identity and its beliefs and so forth and so on, creates conflict. Yeah. There's no, there's just, that just has to happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: People ask, why is there conflict? That's the reason. And if you don't want to realize that or you want to uphold labels and beliefs mm-hmm. and so forth and so on, that's okay. But you have to admit that you are part of the problem. And if you're not mature enough to, to recognize that you're part of the problem then that's even worse that makes the problem even worse oh yeah and that makes it fester within yourself even worse because you're you're not just looking at yourself
1: it's just going around the circles going
0: around circles yeah Mm. so yeah that's the essence yeah the essence Mm. of koans and 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 well sitting practice as well but the essence of koans is to come back to that essential world to realize that All koans arise from that essential world And they go back to that essential world They actually take you back to the essential world
1: That's right Mm. And so It's a great um, Can I say Tool Yes One of the spiritual practical Tool Yeah Yeah It is We all can um, Delve into We can delve into it Yes yeah.
0: Yeah And we shouldn't. I hope everyone listening and watching actually think about some of the coins that mm. not well, see think about, <laughs> yeah. contemplate the koans contemplate, that, yes. that we read today. Mm. And maybe if you are a tough nut, then you need to li- uh, contemplate yeah. the difficult to yeah. pass ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or if you enjoy all of them, then you know definitely contemplate all of them and getting com- just get comfortable with that reality because that's that is the reality. Yeah. This reality looks all fine and dandy and mm. our attachments and our desires and that seem appealing, seemingly.
1: It's, um, yeah, it's an, a, a temptation. Temptation, right? yeah. Temptation, yeah. Yeah. full yeah. of temptation. But again, that's just an illusion. Yes. It only creates the illu- illusionary mind. Yes. Yeah.
0: The belief in duality. Definitely, yeah.
1: yes, belief and duality. Yeah, yes. the belief
0: that there's this and that.
1: Yeah, and we don't want to fall back into that.
0: Nor enhance that. No. <laughs> so, Zen koans and, and meditation is like a remedy or a cure to get you out of that hypnosis.
1: Definitely, yeah. break out of that hypnosis. Yes. Yeah, good. Yeah.
0: All right. All right, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed. Remember contemplate some of those koans and i hope you enjoyed everything we spoke about today and we'll see you guys next time